thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. Good morning. Those of you who may not know me, I am infamous for being one of Austin seminary professors. If you want some inside information about him during seminary, I'll talk with you afterwards. Now, he was, as you would guess, an outstanding student. I am always excited to have the opportunity to preach. Uh, Nearly 40 years ago, almost an audible voice came to me from God that said, you can do no other than preach the gospel. So even though I'm retired from the pastorate and retired from seminary teaching, I love the opportunity to to preach, and so I thank Austin and the leaders here and you this morning to be able to give me that opportunity. So would you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Purify our minds and our hearts that I might speak your truth and that we might receive it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm picking up where Pastor Austin left off last week in this series, This is Jesus, from the Gospel of Luke. Austin gave us a description of two realities we're faced with as Christians. An imminent frame where we can be boxed in by the secrets, fears, and insecurities of our lives. I often refer to that as a practical atheism. We believe in God, but live as if there is no God. That's why we need this vibrant eschatology, the other framework that he told us about. A balance of being in this present world, but not being of this world. To be just enough heavenly-minded that we're freed from our secrets, our fears, and our insecurities. Because if we stay locked in this eminent frame, we can end up hoarding wealth and harboring worry. So we must be reminded that Everything we can see and even the things we can't see have been created through and for Christ. But they've been distorted, broken, and fall short of God's original purpose. All because of the fall. That is our sin and the sin in the world. The good news is that God is at work redeeming all things, including money. God is filling what is lacking and fixing what is broken. God is filling what is lacking and fixing what he's broken. He is at that all the time in our lives and in the world. And although God has graciously given us money and possessions, he's not given us given up ownership. Whether it's power, possessions, or our place in life, God owns it all, but has given us stewardship responsibilities. We're simply financial and property managers for all the resources God gives us to invest in the growth of his kingdom. So this morning I want us to look at how the fall has affected our investment responsibilities over God's money and all our possessions. Because of our sinful nature, again, money can have a great power over us, an enslaving power. As evidence of that, rarely does anyone admit or even know that they love money too much. Almost no one confesses that they are materialistic or greedy. 
Yet the Bible teaches about money 20 to 30 times more than sex. That's because money's power blinds us to itself. Money's power blinds us to itself. It's much easier to see we have a problem with sex than money or just about any other sin. It's like the fly who's attracted to the flypaper and says, my flypaper, while at the same time the flypaper is saying, my fly. Remember, it's not money itself that's the problem, as, as Paul wrote to Timothy. It's the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The fall has resulted in a distorted view of money. It has misdirected and destroyed the purposes for which God created money and possessions. So when it comes to wealth, no matter how much we're talking about, our, our human hearts manifest both greed and worry, hoarding wealth and harboring worry. So let me read our text this morning, picking up again in Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13 through verse 34. It's a long text, but I want us to get the whole text at one time. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told him, Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, What should I do, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? That is how it is with one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than the birds? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. That's how God closes the grass which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow. How much more will he do for you? You of little faith. Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink, and don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old, an exhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As I said earlier, the Bible, especially Jesus, has a lot to say about money. 
And Jesus was often blunt about money and materialism. My guess is people who heard him speak about money were just as uncomfortable as some of us might be this morning. We're not always willing to, to hear how we should spend our money or manage our money. There was a preacher attempting to get the congregation fired up about the church in one of his sermons, and he said, let the church walk. And Deacon Jones said, amen, let it walk. Let the church run, said the preacher. Let it run, echoed the deacon. Let the church fly, said the preacher. Amen, let it fly, said Deacon Jones. Now it's going to take money to let it fly, said the preacher. Let it walk, said Deacon Jones. Let it walk. We say amen to a lot of what Jesus has to say until he begins to talk about our pocketbooks. Then we think Jesus has gone from preaching to meddling. However, in the case of our story today, in the middle of Jesus' preaching about hypocrisy, a man interrupts to ask Jesus to meddle. The man wants Jesus to tell his brother to divide their father's estate with him. We don't know the specifics of the two brothers or the estate. We do know that it was the older brother in Jewish tradition who always received the biggest share of inheritance. So possibly this man was a, a younger brother. But what Jesus says is, that's not why I have come. I've just been preaching about more important things, and you've missed it. And only as Jesus could do, he discerns the real heart issue with this man and uses it as a teaching opportunity. Beware of greed. Real life is not measured by how much we own, Jesus says. Greed has become one of those overstuffed religious words that have lost its ability to convict us. We simply don't take it very seriously. We don't think it's our sin. Greed is simply craving more of what we don't need. Greed is simply craving more of what we don't need. And Jesus is saying that's not life. Life is not about the things we possess. To further warn us about greed and to teach us that life is not measured by how much we own, Jesus connects two kinds of people those, again, who hoard wealth and those who harbor worry. They go together. Jesus' point is that hoarding wealth at any level and harboring worry show that our treasure is not in the kingdom of heaven, but in money and our possessions. So first, Jesus tells the story of the rich fool. He was a farmer who had an exceptional crop, more than his barns could handle. The farmer has a conversation with himself saying, I'm a pretty successful character right now. I've worked hard for what I have. So I'm going to tear down my old barns and build some newer and larger barns. I'm going to store all my crops and start taking it easy. But then God says, you fool. You fool. Now just as the Bible does not condemn money in itself, he also does not condemn hard work. This farmer was industrious. He didn't make his money owning a casino or playing the lottery or as a slum landlord or as a drug dealer. Farming then and today is hard work. Crops don't plant themselves and harvests don't gather themselves. It takes ingenuity, initiative, creativity, and hard work. Now this farmer's problem was that his capital investments were no longer in the growth of crops, 
but in the storage of crops. The farmer's investments were no longer in the growth of crops, but in the storage of crops. It can be similar to some churches today, certainly not Belfield Church, who have stopped investing in the growth of people and invest in the storage of people, investing in programs and entertainment to keep people rather than equipping and discipling to send people. That's what churches are called to do, is to equip us and to send us. So why does Jesus call the farmer a fool? Because Jesus says a person is a fool to store up up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Now there's no specific measurement of wealth to fit ourselves into Jesus' negative example here. The rich fool represents a type of person. A rich fool defines life in terms of the things they own. We can be relatively poor and still define our lives by the clothes we wear the car we drive, or the size of our TV. In some cases, people may be poor because of what they wear and what they own. But Jesus' point is this. While the fool contemplates his present life by his fame and fortune, God considers his future life as one who will be dead and departed. The farmer is a fool because he's blind to to life's priorities. The one who is greedy for what they don't have ends up with an empty life. God said to the rich fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get it all? There was a man who was on his deathbed and he made his wife promise that when he died she would take all his money and put it in the casket with him. So, just as the man requested, just before the, they closed his coffin, his wife carried a large box up to the casket and laid it inside. She went and sat down next to her best friend who said, don't tell me you honored that man's request and put his, all his money in there with him. And the wife said, I sure did. I wrote him a check. We cannot take it with us, folks. I play chess on occasion, and there are many different pieces, all having different powers and and ways they can move. But when the game is over, all the pieces are put back into the box. That's the way it is with our lives. We play the game of life. We may feel we're winning or losing at times. We capture our opponent's, opponent's knight, or we may even lose our own queen. But the reality is, is the game will eventually be over and we'll be put back in the box. We'll all come to the grave. And our money and possessions cannot extend our life one more minute. Nor will they count for anything as we stand naked before God. So Jesus says we ought to be concerned now about living our lives for the kingdom of God. Not worrying about how to hoard wealth or even how we will pay our bills. Worrying about money is a universal issue. Some worry about paying the rent next month. Some worry whether they will have enough money for their children's college education. Some worry whether they'll ever be able to retire. We worry about cutbacks at work, gas prices, the stock market, heating costs, decreasing savings. 
Will we have enough money for what we need and what we want? Let me remind us again what Jesus said in verses 22 through 23. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Then Jesus gives us these two illustrations from the created world, the birds and the flowers. It's worth pointing out that Jesus refers to ravens, who were considered the unclean creatures in the Old Testament. Jesus has gone to the bottom of the creature barrel for his illustration to show that God cares, if that God cares for the ravens, how much more does he care for us? Jesus asks if our worries can add a a single moment to our lives. And the answer, of course, is no. There's no guarantee life will be beyond the next moment. Next, Jesus uses the lilies of the field to, to further illustrate his point. Now, he's not talking about Easter lilies here, but wildflowers that grow in the Middle East. They literally would grow up in the morning, and then under the, the midday heat of the sun, they would die. And yet they were reportedly the most gorgeous of all flowers. Even King Solomon was not dressed as beautiful as these lilies. And after those two illustrations, then Jesus equates our worry to having little faith. Jesus equates our worry to having little faith. You see, the opposite of worry is faith. Faith or trust that God will provide for our needs. If God cares about ravens and lilies that only last a day, how much more does he care for us? For God will provide everything we need. Jesus is talking about a faith that trusts God for a sufficient provision, not a faith that seeks an abundance of of possessions. Again, he says in verse 31, but seek his kingdom and these things will be provided for you. Seek his kingdom and all these things will be provided for you. Finally, Jesus says to both those who may hoard wealth and those who may harbor worry, don't be afraid. Because it gives our Heavenly Father great delight to give us the kingdom. In other words, we can risk giving. So don't be so overwhelmed with worry and preoccupied with getting that we're no longer free to give. And I just need to to say, Austin didn't have me preach this, so the giving would increase at Belfield Church. This is all about discipleship. This is all about our relationship with God. Yes, giving to church is important. That's one of the ways that we give what God has given to us. We have a financial responsibility, a stewardship to that. And for some of us, we may need to to get rid of some stuff we've accumulated. Give it away to a needy family or, or sell it and give it to God. At the very least, Jesus is stressing how unattached His followers should be to their money and possessions since our priority is to serve the kingdom of God. In this whole sermon, the the virtue here is not a vow of poverty, but a vow of generosity. 
The virtue here is not a vow of poverty, but a vow of generosity. Let me say it one more time. It's not a vow of poverty, but a vow of generosity. Whether we are hoarding wealth or harboring worry, the real question Jesus is asking is, where is your treasure? Is it the kingdom of God, or is it the sum of your money and material goods? Is God the literal center of your life? Because what we put in the center determines the spokes of our life. And if God is at the center, the rest of of life will take care of itself and it will link your life to what is eternal and that which will never fade. If If you want help to see if God is at the center of your life, look at your checkbook. It will tell you if you're generous. And check your heart. It will tell you if you are anxious. Both can tell you if you're trusting God. We said at the beginning, because of the fall, money can have an enslaving power over us. So listen to what Tim Keller says about that. The only way we can be free from the power of money and be sure we are free and not self-deluded is to give money away. So much that we lower our standard of living. We must see that we live in a smaller or less opulent space. That we take simpler vacations. That we spend less money on clothes and the like than we otherwise would. End quote. That's a challenging quote. Because some of us are looking at ourselves and self-evaluating and say, I consider myself poor. And yet there is a ways to apply what Keller challenges us with. If God is really at the center, if we're we're storing up treasures in heaven, if we're trusting God for all our needs, then God and his kingdom will become our primary concern and hoarding wealth and harboring worry will begin to disappear. Let us pray. Father and creator God and Lord of all, we thank you for all the gifts you've entrusted to us. Help us to remember that all we have comes from you and is to be used to serve you, to bless others while advancing your kingdom. Make us faithful and trustworthy servants, always ready for your return. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.